0: Yes, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Thank you so much for coming back this week, and I've got a little bit different kind of show for you. I was interviewed, as I mentioned in the last episode, I was interviewed on Call Me Ignorant with Stephen Ignoramus, and he has a show that he does live on YouTube and he's, he's live on there every day, I do believe, but he also does a couple of interviews a week. And those interviews also all get put on Podbeam, so that if you want to check that out in podcast form, it's available there as well. But I wanted to take a chance, if you hadn't got to check that out yet, I wanted to share it here on my feed. And a um, couple of quick notes, real quick. Normally I don't use any profanity on this program. There is a little bit here in this interview and I didn't take the time to go back and edit it out or anything like that, but I uh, just wanted to give you fair warning. Not sure, you know, how you listen to this podcast if it's in your headphones or in your car or whatever, but just want to make sure you were aware of that. And uh, I'll go ahead and cover these last few things here. Um before we get started, uh if you want to help the show, the best thing you can do is give us ratings on iTunes, uh, give us ratings on Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you can get put ratings up there, that helps us um reach more people that way. So if you can follow, subscribe. Uh I'm also available on YouTube at Garrett Again. Um actually I'm sorry. On YouTube, I don't have a username yet. I've got to get several subscribers before that kind of thing allows me to kick in. But you can um Email me at garrettagain at pm.me. I'm also at Twitter. Username is garretagain. Facebook.com, garretagain. And also now, I also have a Bitbacker set up so that if you want to donate some crypto to me, I am willing to take that. I don't quite know what to do with it yet, but I am more than willing to learn. So if that's something that you want to help me out with, uh, you can donate there on Bitbacker or you can send me money on PayPal, garrettagain at pm.me. And what I'm going to do with that money, all of that will go to further this show and whether that is better equipment better advertising or if there is a book or something that you want me to read or some kind of class that you might want me to take or something like that i would definitely be open to those kind of ideas anything that is going to make this show better for you and you want to be a part of that and just to say thanks then by all means it is greatly appreciated so without any further waiting thank you so much for listening this week and here is my interview with Stephen ignoramus
1: Yoki, what is up, y'all? We are live right now. What's going on? Welcome to Call Me Ignorant. Steven Ignoramus here, episode number 46, 8.06 p.m., August 27th, 2019. So pleased you could be with us. Call Me Ignorant is a live conversation show, whether with an interesting content creator, an expert in a field, a controversial figure, or with a fellow human being trying to spread a message. Call Me Ignorant will try to solve the problems of the world, conversationally speaking. We are streaming live right now to YouTube, Twitch, Periscope, Mixer, DLive, and Picarto. If you can't catch the show live, you can find it after the fact on the above mentioned platforms, also on and Freedomscoop.com. Call Me Ignorant is also available in podcast format on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. You can find me on Twitter at Ignoramus Steve. Join my Discord server linked below in the show description or send me an email at stevenignoramus at gmail.com if you'd like to be a guest on the show. With me on the program today is Garrett, host of Make America Garrett Again podcast. His show focuses on politics and current events seen through the lens of peace, property rights, and free markets. I'm really excited to, t- to have him on the show tonight to talk about the themes of his show and how he got it all started. You can find his Twitter, Facebook, and podcast information linked below in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, Garrett, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So I've been, uh, you know, I found you, I, I don't remember, like, I think we follow each other on Twitter or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, I listen to five or six of your podcasts or whatever. And you, you started uh, this year, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I started, um, uh, I think I started releasing a couple of test episodes in like January and February. Uh, and then I launched, I think beginning of April.
1: So that's smart, man. I I didn't do that. I, I started my show basically like January 3rd and I just went right after it. And I, I did some research in starting a podcast and they were like, got to do test episodes. And I didn't That was smart of you. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah i was um I was hoping I could kind of game the system a little bit and maybe maybe have a big launch and you'd have all those backed episodes to listen to and I guess it, it worked it worked pretty well um but sometimes if you can get a lot of people listen to those episodes at once, it helps you kind of jump up the charts a little bit so um I think it probably helped me some so
1: did you get some uh like good feedback from people after those uh, test episodes um
0: I got pretty good feedback from the beginning um there were a few people who I think just kind of found out that they were test episodes and did everything they could just to like pick apart everything that they didn't (laughs) like about it. And so they, they went at it as like, uh, let me, you know, let me shred this to pieces. But, um, once I learned how to ask for feedback and what to really look for, um, it it was a lot better. So,
1: yeah, it's kind of like, if if you're just like, what did I do wrong? And they're like everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have one guy who uh, reached out to me and he was like, Hey, I just want you to know, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And if I did this podcast, um, I would do it this, 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 and different than what you did. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, cool. You You should should start a podcast. That's what you should do. And and he's like, "Uh, okay, I I don't know about that. I may not start one, but I just wanted you to know that that's what I would do. And I'm like, well, thank you for no help whatsoever. (laughs) do do you have any uh you know i I
1: hear in your intros and stuff like that in in your like you talk about you know your three big uh big things like free markets uh um what is it peace property rights property rights free markets yeah did you um do you have any specific goals for the show like would you want to do it for a living one day if you if you could
0: i would love to um i you know i love listening to guys uh like tom woods and michael malice are two of my favorites and just to be uh to be one of those types of personalities where You could just go on other people's shows and interview and, um, you know, write for different people and just to just to tour around in that group. I would love I would love to do that someday. And um, I would love to be kind of one of the people who is able to bring other people into the fold and, uh, you know, bring new people who are maybe on the fence about uh, libertarianism, anarchism, any of that kind of thing to help kind of pull them in a little bit and to see. Uh, where we come from, you know, and and I may never be Bob Murphy, uh, you know, and know everything completely front to back from the economics angle or anything like that. But I want to be the one who's able to really draw people in. There were a couple people that that pulled me in, and it was just, it was such a good feeling. You know, you kind of get red pilled a little bit, and you mm. start to really have your eyes open to see those things. And um, I think that that's one place where a lot of libertarians kind of struggle in their messaging is they fight so much with each other and they pick each other apart so much, um, you know, that you can't be a real libertarian if you don't agree with me on such and such. And so I want to be the person to say, hey, look, let's focus on the things we agree on. And if we talk about those a little bit more, I think I can pull you around to the right right side on these other things where maybe you're not so good.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you, so do you have any, like, are you a specific type of, li- of libertarian? Like, are you an NCAP or what?
0: Um, I am, I'm an ANCAP, um, a voluntarist. I like that a lot. Um, agorist, I think. So, um, those would be probably the best ways to describe myself, but I always, I always tell people that I can blend in pretty well as a classical liberal if I have to. So,
1: right. Yeah. And and the way I've kind of been classifying myself a a little bit is like kind of like a a nationalist, but like I, as close to voluntarism as you can, like I still have Mm -hmm. questions about, you know, like, you know, I don't know. It's I guess it, maybe I'm like a minarchist too, where it's like I want the, mm-hmm. the, the size of the government as small as possible. But I also get the argument that, uh you know, the America started as wanting to be the smallest government ever and it grew to be the biggest government ever. So, right. you know, how you know, if that's what happened there, it, you know, being a total anarchist makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. And um, I, I can and I can totally respect somebody who says, you know, I'm not ready to you know, I got to have my police, I got to have my fire department. Hmm. Um, I'm not ready to take that whole step over. Um, And and I can get on with that, you know, and I think just the more that you look at those things in depth, and the more that you look at how, how power works, and how people work, you kind of see where it's a slippery slope. And like you said, um, you know, you have somewhere like America that started out as probably the greatest experiment in minarchy of all time. And now we've grown into you know, something that doesn't even look like what it began as.
1: Do you, uh, can you point to like a 10 or 15 year period where that started to go wrong in America? Or was it just, do you think it's just a, like every couple presidential cycles just got bigger and bigger government?
0: Um, I need, I need to brush up on my history because I hear a lot of people say that it started to go wrong within the first 10 or 15 years after they signed the constitution. Wow. I know I, I know as far as my knowledge is concerned, um, the Civil War was a big step back because uh and it's it's so messy because you say that and you sound like you're you know you're a slave apologist or something like that. But um don't I don't wanna own anybody don't you know, I don't think that's okay. But it was a it was a big step in saying like um you know the, the states want to do these things their way and they want to do commerce their way and instead you have the federal government step in and say you're, you're not going to do this we're going to tell you how it's going to be and from that point forward um i think they lost a lot of their freedom and they lost a lot of their power over the federal government and i think that's when there was a, a big flip and it kind of flipped upside down from the states being more powerful than the federal to the federal taking taking its spot at the top and then from that point you, know, you just kind of inch forward a little by little and um you know, I think with uh, with bringing income tax in with the late 1800s and early 1900s, that was a big step yeah. back as well. Because then it was like, okay, we're going to provide everybody all of these things, and everybody will expect them. And now, uh, you know, people don't know how they're going to, you know, send their kids to school if they don't have the government to to force them to do it. So yeah.
1: Yeah, the income tax is not good. I mean, you know, and, and the thing about the Civil War, I mean, you know, any any people could do, you know, five podcasts just on the Civil War. I mean, it's so complicated. Oh, yeah. But what I always say about that is like for for better or for worse, it, it showed a group of people that they couldn't opt out and th- like one of the reasons that you know they wanted to opt out opt out was slavery and like you said you don't mm-hmm. want to be labeled like a slavery apologist i don't think right m- many people are these days but it's, it's just it just proved that you, you you this thing uh is not voluntary like you can't yeah. opt out like so if like um and i even don't even know how that would look look like now if a, if a state wanted to secede would you know would they let them like i don't know man
0: yeah, yeah. I don't. I I have heard that uh, Texas still has kind of a, an option where they could leave if they wanted to. I don't mm. know how grounded in reality that is. Um, mm. You know, I know California has talked about it a little bit, but I don't think they've really been very serious about it. Yeah.
1: Did you uh did you get educated in, in politics at all, or writing, or anything like that? What did you do before you started the show?
0: Um, I have always written a lot, and uh, I've always just enjoyed. Um, I guess blogging on my facebook and on on Twitter and that kind of stuff i've I've always enjoyed writing and um kind of like a lot of other people, I got caught up in the twenty sixteen election cycle yeah. and the madness that all of that was and and before that um I was a little more interested in politics than everybody else, but it was pretty much um. You know, just half a step past whatever the the media was telling you, you know, I knew the media wasn't completely truthful, but I didn't realize just how much of a narrative that they were crafting but um, I, I was I was probably uh, I, I guess I was kind of like a, a Gary Johnson type Republican, yes. you know, I was I, I didn't see what was so scary about weed and I didn't see what was so scary about gay people. But other than that you know we, we have to respect our police and we have to love our troops and we have to you know go bomb everybody to peace uh, over in the Middle East because Ooh, that's yeah. that's what we do um, and so I was kind of okay with most of those things and uh, just as I got kind of pulled into libertarianism I started to see one by one um, and probably probably the the war, aspect of that was the first was the last kind of domino to fall where i was kind of like okay this whole thing is just a racket
1: interesting wow that's that's very interesting because that seems most libertarians i talk to um that's that was like the first domino i mean at least for me and at least five or six people i've had on the show is you know i i basically come from the left and i you know i was a bernie sanders supporter in 2015 and then by mid 2016 i was like i don't know what I, i i voted for gary johnson but ever since basically 2002 i've been like what are these fucking wars man like and, yeah. and and so and then i you know then the left started becoming maybe not pro-war but like hillary clinton certainly was pro-war and that made <laughs> me go you know like full right wing you know maybe too far <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i actually um i can remember one of my one of my last uh it's, i think it was right at the beginning of Trump's term. Uh, when he was really starting to ramp up things with North Korea, and they were threatening to bomb us, and they they posted that video of them sending a, a nuclear bomb over here and blowing up one of our cities, and I remember posting <laughs> like, I know I'm being a bad libertarian here, but we need to go bomb them off the map, and we need to go wipe that whole place clean. Wow. And um, it, something happened when I posted that, and it was like just I don't know if it was just a weird feeling or what it set in motion. Um, but within a couple months after that, and it may have been Michael Malice, may have been a lot of it, was just looking at, you know, you're not just fighting one bad dictator over there. You're bombing millions of innocent people and you're ruining all of these people's lives and you're you're killing and starving children. And that's not that's not what they tell us that they're doing uh when they say that we've got to go to war you know we've got to go fight this bad guy who's saying bad stuff about us and then you find out that it's actually just you know starving children and cutting off their medical supplies yeah it's super dark man
1: (laughs) yeah um and you know i think the um you mentioned this on your show a couple times that your most popular episode of your show was the one on yemen and i uh i think i shared that on twitter as well i really really like that because i hadn't heard another podcast that gave like a timeline breakdown of what's going on and i i didn't even know that our blockade was still going on and people are starving and shit it's crazy right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah our 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 navy is just sitting out um in the in the I believe it's the Gulf of Oman, if I remember correctly, and uh, just won't let any medical supplies into those people. And so uh, we've got airplanes um, that we've sold to Saudi Arabia, and we're giving Saudi Arabia all of the intel and all of the maintenance that they need on those planes and those missiles. And uh, the United Arab Emirates is helping them as well, and they're just um, bombing people until hopefully they give in and turn on their government and decide that... Uh, you know, they, they want to do what the Saudis want to do instead of what they want to do. And it's, um, I, that was a big eye opener for me. Um, do you, do you follow Scott Horton at all?
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to, I tried to take in as much, uh, Scott Horton as I possibly could, but he is so deep into it and he understands so much it's of insane, it. That it's it's so hard to yeah. keep up with him. So I tried to learn as much as I possibly could, and then I try to take all of those pieces and and put them in an order so that we did have an actual timeline and then mm-hmm. we could actually look at this is where it started and this is what happened next and this is what happened afterward and this is how we got here. Um, but yeah, that was uh, still probably my most popular episode. Um, I'm gonna have to do a few more like that. I think uh, I think I'm gonna do something on Hong Kong here coming up pretty soon cool. because nobody's talking about what's going on in Hong Kong, and uh, I I think that's something that um, hopefully we can open some people's eyes on and, and to appreciate the freedom that we do have here and to, and to fight for what's left instead of, um, you know, wanting to just to to give in um, to bureaucrats to take over us and babysit us and everything.
1: How do you uh, how do you do research? I mean, do you do you edit your podcast up? Do you do it just one take and like how what's your workflow like?
0: Um, I'm still kind of playing around for the most part. I will I'll make a rough outline or I will just go in and do one really bad podcast and decide what i like and learn from it a little bit and then i'll go back and do it again cool um pretty much in one take there's a couple times if i if i stutter on a sentence or if i start to say something and i decide there's a better way i can say it i'll go back and i'll edit it up just a little bit but um for the most part uh i've done public speaking things before i've had a couple jobs where i had to do some public speeches and and some stuff like that so i'm generally comfortable setting up an outline and and setting up a, a a start and a finish for where I want to go and where I want it to end up. Um, and it was just a matter of transferring that over to um, just a podcast form. So you,
1: you mentioned earlier that, um you know, you, you knew that the media, you know, I don't know, remember how you said it, like they lie from time to time or they get stuff wrong. Um, and I don't know if you pay enough attention to the media. I mean, me doing a stream and a podcast, it's, it's so narrative dri- driven and it's even, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, there's very few times that you can catch them in an outright lie without them re- retracting, but it doesn't really work that way. It's just like mm-hmm. a narrative that they push and it's a lot of it's like stuff they ignore, you know, for, for instance, like mass shootings done with rifles, you know, th- mm-hmm. today in my in my daily stream, we talked about like the lead causes of death in America and. You know, we talked about the opioid crisis and stuff like that, and a lot of that stuff gets straight up ignored. Um,
0: mm-hmm. But
1: was there a uh, event or two that you know that you like rung a bell with you, like that the media was like off base, like fake news? You know, like or like any, anything that you noticed there? Um, what do you
0: mean? What kind of what kind of I don't know, Adventure. like for like
1: for me, uh, when you know, do you remember Charlie Hebdo when there was that shooting in France? Mm-hmm. So was, That's what really like red pilled me, so to speak, where mm-hmm. I was like, they're supporting, they're they're essentially supporting uh, censorship of free speech to count out a terrorist, and that mm-hmm. was one one event, and also with like Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning they you know i've noticed the media was calling these people criminals when they are breaking the law i guess but also mm-hmm. they're exposing like big power so i can point to those two as big moments in my media consuming life that i was like dude the media is the enemy yo like anything yeah like that yeah
0: you? i i think um julian assange was another big one yeah. i mean that's that's right in there like you said with with chelsea manning oh, and yeah. with edward snowden just the fact that um, that they want to argue about whether or not he's even a journalist and whether he's not allowed, whether or not he's allowed to be doing this. Irrelevant. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 free speech. It's it's free press. Um, if he wants to post those things, then we need to get it out and talk about it. And, and if they're lies, then let's, let's say why they're lies. But uh, you know, the fact of the matter is they've never been proven wrong and that's why they don't want to talk about it. You know, they mm. just want to completely ignore it. Um, so I think, I think that was big. I think that um the new zealand shooting was another one that they really jumped on and and, you know that this guy was a white supremacist and he was this hardcore right winger and all of this stuff and then you you look at what he wrote and it was like he was just messing with you he knew what was going to trigger you and and he did it on purpose and you completely took the bait and completely bought into it and um just made it even worse you know and and it was kind of the same way this guy in el paso uh did you read what he wrote his manifesto. i mean it was like it, it sounded to me like he was a you know, a, a 65-year-old man ranting about, you know, how he doesn't have his job at the factory anymore or something yeah. like that. And it was like, it just sounded ridiculous. Like if anybody else had posted that on Facebook, we would have probably all made fun of him, mm. you know, but but it's supposed to be dark and chilling and, you know, signifying this white supremacist country that we live in. And, um, I think that that's just the biggest thing. And, and, you know, they've already forgotten the Dayton shooter because he was, you know, kind of more to the left. And, um, you know, the guy that uh, shot uh, Scalise and all of those guys, uh, the senators at the baseball field um, was a, he was a Bernie Sanders guy, too, I think. And, um, you know, we just don't talk about them because they don't they don't fit the narrative. And we've we've got to. um the news has to pick what side they think is the bad side and what people they think are the bad people and, and all the efforts get focused on taking them down. Hmm. And um, I, th- I think that you know, right now it's, it's gotta be certain groups of people and people who have money and you know, gotta make sure everybody knows how bad they are so that, that we can you know, take them down and, and move one step more progressive.
1: So, yeah, so I was I was, was going to ask the next question was going to be, why do you think they do it? I mean, we were, we were talking off mic um, about, um, you know, how, you know, basically the cities are all blue these days. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get farther out from the city and the more red it goes. Do you think that's maybe a nature of, you know, the big media companies are all in cities, so they tend to, you know, lean hard left? Like, do you think they uh, they're corrupt? Do you think they're lying? Do you think they're just calling balls and strikes? Like, why do you think there's such as big bias? Um, I think that
0: it's it's a combination of all of those things. Okay. I mean, i I don't think I don't think anybody wakes up and says, You know, I'm going to get up this morning, I'm going to lie to the people. I'm mm-hmm. going to you know create this narrative, and that's what I'm going to do. I think that they believe that they're doing the right things, and I mm-hmm. think that they believe that they are uh, you know, doing God's work by just helping direct this country back to where they think that it should be. And um, I think that just a lot of the problem is with their worldview. And I think a lot of it has um, a lot of cultural Marxism to it. The Mm. fact that if you're doing better off than me, that means that you've done something immoral and wrong and you deserve to be punished for that. And we have to bring you down and punish you uh, for there to be equality. And I think that that's a big driving force of that. And I think that that's why um, anybody who's rich, anybody who's well off, that they're gonna do whatever they need to do to go after them. Um, hmm. And uh, I think that, um, I'm trying to think of what, what else. I, I think that it's very easy to be uh, very progressive in the classroom type setting, you know, in, in colleges and, and the kind of areas where these things thrive because it, it doesn't have to be challenged in real life. You know, it's it's really easy to say, well, you know, men and women should be able to do everything the same or you know, all people should be able to uh, grow up and get a good job. And it's really easy to say that. And in in theory, sure, it works. But in practice, some people aren't good at certain jobs. Some people aren't as smart as other people. Some people don't work as hard as other people. And I think another part of it is that we have put so much of our Uh, focus on our kids need to be successful in school and you, you know, you've got to do good in school and then you'll be doing good in life. And the fact of the matter is uh, school and life aren't the same, you know, Mm. school is all about, you got to do your homework and you got to please the teacher and you know, the teacher gives you a good grade and then you get to move up and that's it. But um, the fact of the matter in life is you can work really, really, really hard at your job, flipping burgers somewhere. And you may still be a burger flipper you know there needs to be different steps (laughs) to take and and a different path to take and you know that's why some of these people you see you know flunk out of high school and then they go on to, to run these great companies and stuff is because it's not the same as the real world so uh they get to grow up in a classroom setting where everything works in theory and everything can be put in a bubble where it's protected from reality And then a lot of these people who have succeeded and who may be very intelligent and very well-read and and able to pass a test may not have the kind of skills that it takes just to really succeed out there in the business world. And then when that doesn't work for them and they say, hey, I was a straight-A student, why am I not getting this promotion that I wanted? Well, it must be something wrong with the system. It must be somebody else that's keeping me down. It must be uh, whatever other um conspiracy is afoot that's keeping me from doing this and it it causes them i think to buy even more into this idea that we better get the government to level the playing field for us
1: yeah that's interesting because uh like you know i've been saying it for a while that you know uh you know equality is not inherently a good thing i mean if that's your end goal that you're striving for it's not really a good thing and mostly because it doesn't actually exist like Mm -hmm. if you're doing math you, you one and one are equal I mean like it's it's possible it, through like science to be equal and stuff like that but but like n- no two people are equal I mean you learn that when you're in preschool that everyone's yeah. unique everyone's different but then the you know not the, the it's, it's not the narrative but it's what gets uh, what's what they strive for it's not like we just need equality and it's like it's not possible and it's not inherently good like what if what if everyone's uh, equally
0: bad at something that's not good at all yeah, absolutely, and and I think of the people, um, the the people that I like to read and the people I like to listen to on podcasts and all those people I learn from, and they're all strong in different areas. Yeah, and there exactly. Are, yeah, and there are different people that when I when I try to refer you to a podcast, I say, oh, this reminds me of, uh, I think your personality would mesh well with this guy, and I think that you would like this from this guy, and th- that's one of the great things about it is that different people. Uh, have different personalities and different skills and different strengths and that helps you to serve other parts of the market and in whatever it is that you're doing. and um, you know there are people that are are fantastic at what they do and they're nothing like somebody else who's equally fantastic at what they do. Mm,
1: nice. yeah. so yeah, um since you're talking about like people we listen to and stuff like that, I noticed that you bring up like persuasion and Scott Adams mm-hmm. a little bit on your show. so um you've read Win Bigley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why you- don't you why don't you talk? I've never read it. I actually am going to okay. order it like tomorrow because I've been it's been on my list since 2016. And, you know, he obviously creator of Dilbert and also, you know, was one of the more high profile people that straight up called Trump, I mm-hmm. think, a year or two in advance. He's like, this guy is going to win. Um, so why don't you just talk about your, your views on persuasion and why you decided to incorporate that into your podcast?
0: Um. The... OK, so. I, I was a never trumper. I was scared to death of Donald Trump winning. I thought cool. Um, I, I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016 um, but I got a little bit nervous there at the end and I was just thinking um, at least Hillary Clinton is a known quantity and mm. at least we know we're gonna get basically eight more years of Obama and we're gonna get uh, you know a little bit more war in the Middle East and we're gonna get maybe a little bit more pushes for gun control and and it's going to be bad but it's going to be a known bad. And, you know, you can take that bitter pill and just deal with it. Um, And with Donald Trump, it was looking at, I was looking at him like he might be the best president of all time, um, but he could also be the worst president of all time. And he could try to nuke everybody tomorrow and get us all killed. So I Mm. I don't want to take that gamble. Um, And so I still, Uh, I was very young into my kind of libertarian journey at that point, and and I was really starting to buy into it. And I really liked Gary Johnson a lot. And um, so I voted for him, but just like pretty much everybody else, I knew Hillary Clinton was going to win. And I knew that's who we were going to get. And um, I, you know, cast my vote and I went to bed that night and I woke up in the middle of the night and looked at the polls. And it was like, holy cow, um, Trump is Possibly going to win this thing, and <laughs> what a night! Um, yeah, <laughs> and it was so crazy, and I and I just, um, I was just like, what in the world is going on? And so, I you know turned my phone off and just kind of laid awake for a minute, like, well, you know, you know, I'm half expecting like to hear the bombs going off in the background, you know, off in the distance. And uh, woke up this morning, woke up the next morning, and the sun still came up. And so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm alive, you know. So you kind of look again, and you just spent the next couple of days. Um, just in shock, just like, mm. what in the world is happening? What What is this? And um, meanwhile, I am just diving headfirst, and I'm learning more and more about libertarianism, more and more about um, shrinking the state down to nothing, and uh, really starting to buy into that. And so I I don't even remember, I think it was on the Art of Charm podcast, where I heard Scott Adams interview uh pushing his book win bigly Mm -hmm. and scott adams uh he he wrote the comic book dilbert or the comic strip dilbert and uh he wrote an autobiography called um how to win in life by failing at everything or something along those lines and um and so he wrote win bigly and it basically gave you kind of a little bit of his background in persuasion and in hypnotism And he walked through the entire Trump campaign and the entire 2016 campaign with Trump versus Hillary. And basically his, he was trained as a hypnotist. He went to school to be a hypnotist. And so he learned how you can play these little tricks on people's minds to get them to buy into what you're saying or to buy into what you want them to do. And he was convinced that Donald Trump either was a trained hypnotist or that he was one of those one in a billion people who was just so good at it naturally um, that he wasn't able to fail. And Mm -hmm. he said that uh, Steve Jobs was another one of these guys that was kind of like that. Um, I can't remember if he listed anybody else or not, but he basically said that these people are so good at persuasion and they're so good at a lot of these um, uh, hypnotic attitudes and actions that they we're going to succeed at whatever they wanted to do and that's because wow. and because donald trump was like that if donald trump wanted to be president donald trump could be president hmm. and um so he basically just said you know donald trump is special donald trump is going to win the election uh against whatever odds everybody else puts against him and he just went step by step and he said you know. This, these are the things that Hillary did that came off as weak, and these are the things that Donald Trump did uh that came off as strong. And um one of the examples he gave was when uh when some of those tapes came out where he was saying some pretty nasty things about women and you know, I'm just gonna go up and grab them and all of this stuff and and everybody is completely freaking out. And I think at one point he called he called Rosie O'Donnell like a dog or something like that. And
1: um, yeah, was the quote was, I believe it's like you what do, you call women pigs and he was like, Jess, Rosie, O'Donnell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that was, that was the example that he, he gave was um, that that Scott Adams said that anybody else in that instance, they would have been completely screwed Mm -hmm. uh, because either you, you say, yeah, I said it and you admit that you're a complete and total jerk or you, you walk back on it and you apologize for it and you look weak and it looks like, you know, what you did was wrong. And he said, instead, what he did was, he said, well, I just said it about Rosie O'Donnell. And mm. and you redirect all of that hate and all of those ill feelings towards someone that they already didn't like, that they didn't, you know, nobody liked Rosie O'Donnell anyway. So it was really easy to be like, well, you yeah. know, yeah, Rosie <laughs> O'Donnell is a pig. So I'm fine with that. And, and he said that that was, that was one of the moments where he knew that this guy was onto something special. And so he just walked through the entire election. He He took time to show why, Ah, uh, the phrase "I'm with her" was kind of off-putting to a lot of people, and why "Make America Great Again" was such a strong phrase. And and he even said in the middle or in the beginning that he is a Bernie Sanders Democrat, that he mm. thinks that Bernie Sanders may not be radical enough, that he wants health care for all, he wants college for yeah, all. I noticed wants.
1: that, man.
0: Um, that's crazy. But he said that it was strictly. That, that he wasn't endorsing Donald Trump, but that it was just based on those attributes of, of who he was and what his personality was like, that he knew he was going to win, and he knew he was going to be successful. And um, so going through that book really changed the way that I looked at Donald Trump, and it, it changed from this guy is, is a, a lunatic, and he is out of his mind, and he's going to get us all killed. To you know, there's a method to his madness, and there is a reason why he does the things he d- does them. And you don't have to agree with him, and I don't, I don't agree with most of them, and I I call him out on Twitter all the time. But you've got to at least appreciate um, the art in which he he trolls some of these people, and the way that he you know causes the entire Democratic Party to to fall apart around him. Mm. Um, and so. That was a big step for me, um, kind of into the persuasion field and into the strategy field. And the more I learned about it and I, I started reading about marketing and that kind of thing, too, um, the more I realized that that was kind of a niche in the the libertarian world with, where nobody was talking about. You know, and, and Scott Adams is famous for just talking about the persuasion, um, but he's also – kind of now centered himself around Trump. And that's kind of what he, his identity is in now. And there are, there are sometimes where uh, I think even he buys into Trump too much, yeah. but um, for somebody like me to be able to take that opportunity to say, listen, these are, these are our libertarian principles. These are, you know, peace, property, free markets. These are the things that are most important to me. And these are the things that I want to fall back on at all times. But let's talk about the way that people can word things to to mess with your mind, or the the, the trigger words that people can use um, to to make you want to buy into what they're selling, even if it's not the best product. And so, um, what I do on my show is I just try to merge those two things and say, listen, um, you know, Donald Trump has some great strategy here, even though the thing he's advocating advocating is complete garbage. Or um, you know the same thing. Nancy Pelosi, or Ilhan Omar, or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez—all of them do a very good job at positioning themselves within their base and rallying their base and doing those things. And so let's talk about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and and maybe you can take some of those things and apply it to your job and and your relationships at home, so that maybe you can help people buy into whatever it is that you're selling or whatever you're trying to talk them into.
1: Interesting. Well, outside of Outside of persuasion, what do you uh, think is the uh, a couple really good things about Trump and really bad things? Because I, I, uh, you know, you told your story about like where you're like a never Trumper. I was hardcore never Hillary. As mm-hmm. soon as she she announced, I was like, "There's no way I can vote for her." Uh, I didn't vote for Trump. I actually, to be honest, wish I would have now at this point. Just to, yeah. just because I I love him on Twitter, man. I think he's so funny. And but I mean, I don't really like, you know, I live in D.C., so kind of my vote doesn't really count unless it's for uh, a liberal democrat or whatever. Right. But, um, but like, like what are some things like um, that you really like about him? If that anything, and some things that you really don't like, cause
0: everyone has a different answer here. I really like that. It seems that he wants to bring the troops home. It mm. seems that he He's, wants to. It, yes. Yeah. I think so, so too. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants to end these stupid wars and he wants to stop bombing people and stop, um, you know, policing the world and all of this stuff. And I am 100% on board with that. And it it really seems to me that that he's sitting in a room going, this is stupid. How much money are we wasting? How many people are we killing? Um, you know, and and our own people get injured and and obviously, you know, there's, there's random helicopter crashes and bombings and just accidents and and whatever. So we're losing some of our own people, but we're also doing a lot of horrible things to just innocent civilians. And, um, I think he sees that, and, and also just from a dollar's perspective, looking at how much money we're wasting because of of how much these planes and these bombs cost. And I think he just, uh, for whatever reason, whether whether it's a moral reason or whether it's just because the dollars don't add up, he's saying, this is stupid. Why don't we just bring everybody home and, and protect ourselves at home? And I am 100% on board with that. And unfortunately, he has people from, uh, the war lobby and he has all these war hawks that he surrounded himself with yeah and um, as soon as he says you know we're going to bring the troops home by friday well you know a day and a half later john bolton's running out there like no no no, no that's not what he meant you know we're going to bring a few troops home but then we're going to send extras out and we're going to send extra bombs just to be safe and,
1: ridiculous um, yeah. and instead
0: you know and and you know it was like he took these amazing steps toward peace with north korea and he was meeting with them, you know. He he went there and met them on their turf, uh, which was just amazing that that something like that could happen. Um, and then we find out a little bit later that John Bolton ran in and ruined the meeting in the middle of it and started demanding all of this extra stuff that Trump never even asked for. And it was like, um, you know, he wanted it. Really, seemed like he wanted peace and he wanted to have a good relationship with anybody. And, it, and it's just like in you know, it's just like in your life, you know, if somebody's um you're standing up to you like they want to fight the best thing you can possibly do is just say hey let's let's cool down let's just go our separate ways and you know you don't have to fist fight everybody that you have a disagreement with that's just Mm -hmm. not the way that it works um you know and as soon as he's starting to to calm things down in north korea a little bit they're they're trying to organize a coup in venezuela and we're starting a, a war that we didn't need over there so um uh, and and a lot – and Ron Paul and a lot of his people say that they they told him that this coup in Venezuela was going to be easy, we were going to be in and out, we were going to overthrow them, <laughs> and we were going to get our oil back, and um, they stood up against us, and we weren't expecting that, and we really didn't know how to handle it. But um, as far as war is concerned, I really think that I agree with him. I really think that he seems to be on the right path, and then he just you know walks it back and um, – uh, I guess at the same time, um, I don't like how much he wants to mess with the economy. I think that's one mm. of the biggest things I'm probably against is that he wants all of these protections um, from trade with foreign countries. And he's trying to ramp up this trade war with China. And he's pressuring the Fed to do more quantitative easing so that they're pumping more money into the economy. And all of those things are are just bad for everybody. Um, you know, I think that um, – Even from a nationalist perspective, even if you really want to keep things at home, um, your money, your dollar goes farther when you can buy goods at the cheapest price that they're available. So if if you want to buy from American made companies, then that's great. You know, you can spend a little bit more money and if you're happy with it, then that's good. But um, if you like to go to the dollar store and, and buy the same stuff that's cheap from China and you're happy with that, then you've got, you know, four extra dollars left over that you can spend on other things and that you can spend here. So um, I think that he, uh, the stances he takes on the economy and the stances he takes with trade, I think that those are really bad and really harmful. Um, Now, I can see how they pander to his base. I know he's got to keep the farmers happy. He's got to keep a lot of those uh, make America great again people, you know, to to bring everything in this country and put American flags on everything. I mean, I, I get why he does that. And and I have no idea if he's just doing it to pander to them or if he really, um, I mean, let's let's face it, the government panders to rich people. You know, if you can if you can buy lobbyists, if you can buy yourself a congressman, a senator, whatever, then um, you can get them to make laws around what you want to do and how you want to do business, and you can make more money like that. So maybe uh, he's looking at it from a businessman perspective. Maybe he's looking at it from a um, just just pander to his you know hardcore republican base uh, or maybe you know maybe he's serious about it i don't know but that that would be probably the biggest thing is that he he's uh he's doing pretty much the same thing to the economy a lot of the things that that obama did that everybody complained so much about you know raising the deficits and and all this quantitative easing and all this inflation and now he's doing the exact same thing because he wants to keep it afloat so that he can get elected again Mm.
1: How, you know, in terms of the long term, I don't know, like maybe not, you know, maybe not 100 years, but in terms of, you know, the 30 to 40 year time period, how do you see this uh, the economy getting better? Because I, I don't see the economy getting better over the long term at all. Like, I, I, I think it's got to end in some sort of default or collapse or, you know, people keep, you know, whenever someone is like, oh, the economy is doing well, they're essentially talking about the stock market and you know employment right now but i i've never heard anyone talk about like 15 year 20 year because i think everyone knows that something really bad is going to happen like at some point because we just keep Mm -hmm. printing money and racking up the debt and do you see this ever getting fixed without some sort of like secession or like restructuring or just globalist takeover or some shit
0: i i don't think so because um the the fact of the matter is it doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good for somebody to tell you that you have a spending problem and you've got to stop spending money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, um, you, you can spend yourself into debt all you want. And the only way to get out of that debt at some point is to say, okay, I've got to start spending less money than I make. And I've got to take that money that's left over and start putting it toward my debt and start putting it toward my bills. And we just weren't, we weren't raised that way. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, really um, the way I understand it, that it really started a lot in the 90s and that they just started telling everybody, you know, you can you can put all of that debt against your house. You can buy a bigger house. Everything's going to grow. You know, none of these things are ever going to lose value. And um, I just know, even from what I've seen, it seems like into the late 80s and into the 90s. um, Before that, kids used to share bedrooms. You know, if you were. Uh, In a house with multiple kids, you know, all the boys would often share together and all the girls would be stuck in a room together. And as you move into the 90s, you don't see that anymore. And you see everybody kind of living a lot of times out of their means a little bit. And, you know, you rack up more debt on those credit cards and everything's going to be fine. And so now you have, um, you know, the millennials who are having kids and getting married and, and maybe buying houses or renting houses and all of that stuff. And they've grown up living with with parents who have lived outside of their means. And so now millennials believe that they, um, you know, I, I need to have a vacation every year and I need to have the newest cell phone and I need to have, you know, every, every one of my kids has to have it at their own room in their house. And just this attitude that you've got to spend, you've got to keep up with the Joneses and, um, anything we want, if we can't afford it, we're going to finance it. And we're just going to, Put put up with it in the form of debt, and we'll deal with it later, and and hopefully it all works out. And if not, then we'll just have debt all our lives, and eventually we'll die, and it's it's gone, and that's no big deal. <laughs> that's so um, dark, man. And <laughs> and I think that that's that's how that's how our our society has been trained is that you don't worry about debt. It's it's just part of life. It's always part of that. And so our, we're seeing the same thing in our economy, and we're seeing the same thing in the way that our federal government is run. And it and it doesn't sound good for any politician to say, hey, if we're going to get out of this debt um, – now, of course, I'm I'm a libertarian. I, I think that taxation is theft, but I also think that you've got to pay off your debt. So if any of these people were, were in their right minds, they would say, listen, we've got to cut benefits and raise taxes. And, and that's a absolutely – that's a that's suicide for your campaign. Nobody wants to hear that. They just want to hear what kind of things you're going to give them for free and how you're going to make their life better. And the, the fact of the matter is we've already dug ourselves into a hole, and the only way to get out of it is to stop all of this crazy spending and and to try to start doing something about paying it off. And mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like any fun at all. Why would I do that when I can get free college, free health care, free child care? Um, you know, or, or I can pay off our bills, which sounds like more fun,
1: you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, then that's one of the things that I noticed, um, when I think it was five, four or five years ago with like the Greek debt, debt crisis over in Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, maybe it was just the first time I ever paid attention to it or people started saying like austerity measures are bad. And I was like, dude, that's like totally what we need. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, you know, you know, it's going to get to the point where um, I've been saying that it's either like tighten it, tighten the belt a couple notches now or like 20 notches in 20 years or something like that. And mm-hmm. it seems like you know, austerity measures needed to start, um, you know, five or 10 years ago and, and and they need to be viewed as positive. But that's it's the complete opposite, like debt and spending is viewed as pos- positive. And it's like a, there's cultural elements of that, too, where like the viewpoint of the populace needs to change. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, they base everything around the stock market because the stock market is it's easy to see. It's easy to understand for the most part. You know, did, 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 is it green or red? Did it go up or down? That's all you know. we need to understand. And um, the way that you keep the stock market moving is you just keep encouraging people to spend money. So, um, you know, if you if you push inflation, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to s- save money because your money is just going to lose value. So, you, you know, you spend as much as you can now. And you encourage credit so that you buy things now, whether or not you can afford them, and it just keeps all of those things pumping. Um, you know, and, and and Ron Paul calls it uh, almost like a heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. You know that it's it's not healthy, it's not good at all. Um, but people have grown so accustomed to it that they don't know how to face reality. And um, every single president ties himself to how the stock market's doing, and so they do everything they can to keep these bad habits up. Um, just to improve the stock market as long as it possibly can. And they hope that the the crash holds off until the next guy's in office so that hopefully, you know, maybe people will blame him.
1: It's so crappy. Wow. I mean, so one of the questions I, I thought of when I was uh, listening to your podcast is because like, you put such an emphasis on free markets is that, you know, we're so far from what would would be called a free market. I almost look at it like it's uh, like with a quality that you can strive for a quality. You can strive for free market you can strive for for freedom of speech but essentially none of these things actually exist like if a true free market would mean like us both being farmers there's no government and i could trade my carrots for your potatoes but since mm-hmm. there is a government they're always going to have some sort of influence over the dollar um, and that's kind of maybe the same thing with free speech, where like, you know, they say there's free speech, but there's really not. You can't say anything mm-hmm. you want at any time. So like what is a free market to you? What's the ideal situation? Is is it complete uh like an ANCAP land in terms of the mm-hmm. economy? Like how do you see like an actual free market working?
0: Um, first of all, you've got to get the government out of money. Mm. Um that's one of the biggest wow. things is that as as long as they can print dollars and they can create them out of thin air, um, you're not going to have a realistic version of what the market looks like because it's, it's impossible to tell what something is really worth when the dollar bill that's in your hand is constantly changing value and it's constantly decreasing in value. And, um, you know, gold is the easiest thing to kind of look back on. There's, there's gold, there's silver, but honestly, it doesn't matter even what you want to trade as long as, you know, if we're both farmers, as long as you and I are both happy, um, Trading rocks or trading you know gold or silver or whatever it is that we agree um, that this is a a scarce resource that we value and that we're willing to use that as a means of money to trade with. Uh, I think that's the most important thing, and um, you know a lot of people are pointing toward Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, I'm a little bit skeptical of it, but I, I will admit I don't quite understand Bitcoin enough to make a big argument for or against it, but it's just there needs to be something that is concrete, that is static, um, that we're not constantly changing the supply of so that we can agree on what what a dollar or, or whatever you would want to call this currency, we agree what it's worth. And we agree that it, it kind of stays the same um, so that if you can buy five carrots for a dollar today, you know that also in four or five weeks or four or five years, you're still going to be able to buy pretty much the same amount of carrots for that same dollar. And... I think that that is the biggest, probably the biggest thing that we need to help get us back toward a free market. Which, of course, people think that's crazy. You know, a lot of people don't even realize um, that the government is messing with their money. You know, they they think that it's it's a million other things, and and um, you know the prices just raise because people are are rich and greedy or whatever. But um, as long as the government's involved with money, they're going to continue to print money to fund these wars they're going to continue to print money to fund social security and all these other things that are are constantly losing money and they're completely insolvent but as long as they can print money they're just going to keep it going and so even if we were just to move to some sort of gold standard or something along those lines that would reel them in because they wouldn't be able to pull money out of thin air anymore they would have to genuinely um, incur some real debt or Really raise taxes to where people would actually feel it hmm. and and people would say, "Hey, you know my tax bill went up. Do I really want you you know sending the navy over to form a blockade around Yemen, or would I maybe rather just have you come home hmm.
1: that's interesting, yeah, and you know like I'm definitely a fan of like free market it just in terms of you know if you have trust between people, things will work if it's a consensual agreement and stuff like that, but in terms of uh you know I don't know if this is free markets, but it's certainly, you know, when people talk about free trade and stuff like that, they don't really talk about, like, labor mobility where, you know, and that's where immigration becomes a thing where, if you know, um, in our present situation, absolutely immigration, but when, when you can import people or outsource work, especially now that, you know, the internet's a big thing, you can, you know, have, you know, telecom farms in India doing all your, your calling work and stuff like that, but it seems mm-hmm. like that's the thing that gets overlooked is when is the labor part of it and a a labor is just a is just another uh cost for the company and when they can drive those uh those prices way down it does screw whatever country you're talking about like the 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 working people in that country out of a lot so that's what that's what i think about a lot when people are like you know like for instance the Koch brothers like david Koch just died and he was um people you know told me that he would get you know, a lot of cheap labor from illegal immigrants. And, you know, like, how does that work It from like a nationalist perspective? That's what I wonder.
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's always a, a bajillion variables whenever sure. you're talking economics. So it's hard to know for sure. But, um, I think that the biggest thing is just to focus on what's unseen. So, mm. you know, uh, you know, one of the Koch brothers ships a bunch of their labor out to India and, and those Indians are working for a dollar an hour or whatever now. Um, and maybe there are some people here who are out of business um, and they're out on the street and they have to find a new job. Well, everyone else who is buying from whatever company this is, they are – they're saving some money by buying from that cheap labor. Mm-hmm. So now they have more money to invest in other things. And so – the free market has a way of of balancing out these things. And it it tells us where workers are needed and where they're not needed uh, just the same way that that it balances money and money Mm. goes to where, where it needs to go or where it doesn't go. And so, yes, these people are out of work, but it also allows them to potentially move to places where that money is now going to go. Good point. Because if, if these people are saving, you know, say 50% off of their goods because they're, they're buying it. Now they've got this extra money to spend and, Maybe um, th- these people can start new businesses. They can get into new fields that are growing. And, of course, it's not always going to be a direct transfer. You know, um, if, if you were a coal miner and the coal mine goes out of business, you can't just hop right over and, and work at Radio Shack or right. Best Buy or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, Bob Murphy made the point that at the same time, if you have the government kind of instituting these controls to try to keep those people out of it who's to say that there were the right amount of coal miners anyway if they're sub- if they're subsidizing them and trying to keep them in business then maybe there was the wrong amount in the first place and there's no way that they could guess where to send the right amount of people to these work projects um so uh, at best you're you're arguing between um you know the government legislating people into working in a certain place or um the market pushing these people out of work anyway. But, um, I think the biggest thing to emphasize in that though, is just that people are going to naturally spend their dollars where they're the most happy. You know, what kind of things, um, you want to spend good money on, you know, you want to make sure you buy a solid car. You don't buy the cheapest car on the lot. Um, you know, some types of food you buy name brands, some types of food, you don't mind so much and, and you buy the off brand just to save some money. And, um, Everybody is like that in almost everything they do. And so when people can save money um, by buying some goods cheaper that they're happy with by getting a, a cheaper product and, and maybe maybe less quality, maybe not, you know, you don't know for sure, but they've got that extra money. And that way, you know, maybe if you're put out of work by one of those Indian telecom farms, maybe that gives you the push that you need um, to start that small business of your own, you know, to, to maybe go out there and um, – Work in your your computer repair business or cell phone repair business or something that's in a similar field that maybe you were thinking about doing but you were a little bit afraid to do before. That's a good point. Um, and and I think that those kind of things can even out and and worrying about those types of things. I mean, if you if you take it to its full extent, you. You think about, you know, there used to be telephone operators that you would have to pick up your phone and, and tell them who you wanted to talk to and who you wanted to dial, and there used to be people who went out and they lit the street lamps every night. And, um, you know, if you spend your whole life wondering what's going to happen to those people, then we might as well live back in the stone ages where we all have to farm twelve hours a day um, just to get by. So, um, I think that um, I'm not really a nationalist, but I think that even from The nationalist perspective, even if you want to kind of close off the borders and really want to protect your own culture, I think that even in that sense, if you're all about America and America first, you as an American can still benefit by buying Chinese goods that are Mm -hmm. cheaper because you've, you've got more money left over to spend in America.
1: Yeah, gotcha, man. That's a good. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, so, so to, to tie two of your themes together, the peace and the fr- and the free markets. You know, you know, there's this thing g- going on with Iran where you know they. Uh, it's hard to keep track of it all. They mm-hmm. took a, a tanker. Uh, the UK took a tanker. There's a drone downed. All all that stuff. And essentially, mm-hmm. if we're gonna go to um, war with Iran or whatever, essentially is gonna be for economic re- reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. they say that it's not. I mean, they say that they help out terrorists they're building a bomb i essentially think most of that's bullshit um yeah and it'll be it'll be over oil and stuff like that but mm-hmm. um do you think there's ever a point that you would that a, a country should go to war for strictly economic reasons like for instance pearl harbor you know they, they essentially attack japanese essentially attacked um U- u.s because we put an oil embargo on them but do you think mm-hmm. there's any point where you know uh, a country should go to war um for just over resources
0: I think that I think that war should be a last resort, mm-hmm. and I think that our goal in everything should be to have as free a market as possible. Mm-hmm. And um if you are trading with a country, you are much more likely to want to get along with them because you want to continue to trade and you're going to see how people on both sides are, are going to be hurt. And that's, you know, we're kind of playing this game of chicken right now with China to see who's going to give in first yeah. Um, and who's willing to hurt their own people the most. to to hopefully get the other side to go in, go to give in first. Um, but at the same time um, I think that, that part of, of just property rights in general is you should have some freedom of movement you know And, and if you're um if someone is blocking you in you know if you if you set up a some sort of embargo in front of my house and i can't leave to get groceries at some time i at some point i do think that it's fair to fight back um and i do think that that's something that is feasible and something that's reasonable um but as technology increases a lot of those things we're able to do better at getting them just through technology, you know, especially things like information and, um, just the way that we do our banking, the way that we pay our bills, a lot of that stuff. Now you can do without ever leaving your house. And and if somebody tries to stop you from doing that, um, much in the same way, you know, that the government wants to be over currency and Bitcoin is a real threat to that because you're able, uh, to exchange some sort of currency with other people without them staring over your shoulder and telling you what you're allowed to do. And, 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 printing more of it out of thin air to, to go fund more wars. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately if, if you are really hurting someone's, um, means of living, you know, if, if you've blocked off and and you're not letting food in or you're not letting oil in or something like that, um, I would say it, it probably would be fair to fight back. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think if you're, if you're trying to be a peaceful person or you're trying to be a peaceful country, most of the time that's not going to happen. You know, it's going to be pretty rare uh, that something like that would happen. And, and instead, what we get is, is things like that's happening in the Middle East, you know, between, um, uh, you know, the, the Israelis and the, the Palestinians, you know, and they just go back and forth. And it's like, well, he hit me first. No, he hit me first. No, he hit me first. And you just go back forever. Um and that's a really dangerous road to to get on, you know, when you start retaliating for stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you've got to take up for yourself and you've got to fight back. But I think that if you are truly trying to be peaceful and you're not trying to police the world, you're not trying to, um, interfere in all of the world's activities, um, people are going to be a a lot more kindly towards you and you're probably going to be able to avoid most of those situations.
1: Yeah. That's interesting because like, you know, um, if it, you know, uh, that would mean in that we would have no, like, justification to really attack Iran because, you know, the, the, it's going to – it's not like, like if we weren't allowed to ship oil through there at all, we would be hurting, but, you know, we're not energy independent right now, but we, we, we make a lot of our own energy and get it from fracking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then the people of Yemen would be pretty justified in attacking us or Saudi Arabia because mm-hmm. there's kids starving by the tens of thousands yeah. over there. So it's like – you know, we're not exactly
0: peaceful. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things is um, that people don't realize is that that we've been messing with them for a long time and that even Clinton, Decades. you know, was messing with them and, and that all of that led up to nine eleven, um, And then, you know, George Bush stands up there and says, you know, they, they hate us because of our freedom. And it's like, no, they hate us because we've been bombing their kids and, and starving people over there for a long time. And they're, they're not happy about that. So um, I think that that's, that's part of it. And, and then, then the media ties into a lot of that is that they don't want to talk about, you know, yeah, it's not okay to fly airplanes into buildings. It's not okay to strap a bomb to yourself and, and rush in and try to kill people. But at the same time, you've got to step back a little bit and say, okay, what caused this? You know, maybe was there something that we could have done to stop this ahead of time instead of um, – you know, it coming to them doing an attack that, that killed, you know, thousands of our people. Hmm. Um, and then when we, of course, we look at it and we say, well, we, we have to retaliate, we have to do something. And and we again, get into kind of that cycle where it's like, well, you know, they hit us first. No, they messed with us first. No, they they picked on us first. And you just go back and forth and back and forth, like, uh, like kids in the backseat of the car on your way to vacation. right, And, um, everybody on each side just believes that the other side is completely to blame and that your side is completely justified in whatever they do. Hmm. All right.
1: Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap up fairly soon, but I okay. think the last thing we should talk about is just 2020. Uh, you said, mm-hmm. I think on one of your shows that uh, you're not a big, you know, you don't get into polls that much and you know, mm-hmm. you don't, that's not really your area of expertise, but like, you know, the way I think about, you know, it, it, you know, as a libert, I'm not really a libertarian, but like I, 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 get along really well with them and, um, mm-hmm. There's a few different ways to think about uh, 2020 or any election. There's the the no vote anarchists. There's the ones that are accept that you have to choose a side because the third mm-hmm. party is not going to do shit. Not this year or any year. And then there mm-hmm. you got the people that are like, yeah, it's it's people thinking that way that makes the third party not do shit. So where do mm-hmm. you how do you think about voting and, you know, where are you leaning on that?
0: um i am almost definitely going to vote for tulsi gabbard in the primaries gotcha um i don't expect her to do well i think the media is really going to shove her out you know i think they're going to keep her down around one or two percent but um i will happily and proudly go in and vote for the one person who says that they want to push back on the federal reserve and the, Mm. the one person who says that they want to end all of these stupid wars and and bring people bring troops home um so that is number one on my list. Now, when it gets to 2020 and we're looking at Donald Trump versus probably Elizabeth Warren, you know, maybe Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris, but I think it's going to be Liz Warren probably. Mm, interesting. Um, I have no idea. I think that um, I'm still wrestling with this because, like you said, it's like uh, if you vote, you know, you're willingly participating in a really bad system. Yes. Um, if you don't vote, then you've you've given up your one line of defense or the one small voice that you do have. And so kind of depending on the day, I go back and forth. I'm not 100 percent sure how I feel about it. Um, so. I don't know, maybe maybe if I like the libertarian candidate, mm-hmm. um, maybe I will vote for them just to kind of help give their party a little bit of that, put, that push and hope that they get toward um, I think 5% gets them more money and gets them more clout in the the campaigning world, hmm. um, which would be nice to see. It would be nice to see a third party just there to shake things up anyway. But I don't have a lot of faith in that happening. Um, I think, though, for sure, regardless of, of how I vote, I think Donald Trump is going to win again in 2020 as long as the economy holds up that long. Yes. And maybe even if the economy does crash. I feel the I same
1: think- way. Yeah. People have like I, people have said that, like, you know, if the economy crash, crashes, he's not going to he's definitely not going to win. I don't agree. I think the Democrats got basically nothing.
0: I think that the economy, I think, is their only hope. I, otherwise, hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think that they have anything. Um, but I also see him. He's he's fighting with China and um, he's he's griping about the Federal Reserve right now, and you know, telling them that they need to be lowering interest rates. And um, you know, he said the other day, you know, Germany's at zero percent. Why can't we be at zero percent like Germany or whatever? And I think that he is positioning himself to hopefully be able to blame the Federal Reserve, or and or China for our next recession. Which mm. I mean, ultimately, it is the the Federal Reserve's fault. But yes. it, it was their fault when it happened. You know, with Bush, it was their fault. You know, everything they did under Obama. It's it's always been their fault, and the president just. Whoever the president is, you know, takes credit for it or, or passes the blame accordingly. Um, but especially if the economy holds up, um, the Democrats don't have anything. He he knows how to campaign. He's rallied his base. And I think he's won the middle people over, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's what, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I've been saying on my show for a while, I'm like a 42 to 48 percent approval of Trump. I really don't like the guy that much. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he calls out the Fed. He's pretty anti-war and he supports meme culture. And all yeah. through that that basically I, I I don't like it, but I kind of have to vote for the guy at this point. Like, yeah, I would, and, you uh, know, sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh no, just, and what he's done to the media has just yeah. been oh, I love it, fantastic. Man. Just, I love just it. to cause them to show all of their cards, hell and just yeah, to, for them to consistently, um, you know, go out of their way just to try to make him look stupid, and it makes them look stupid instead, and, and they're just not learning from it. And, um, you know, I'm going to be curious because I, I think that they rigged the polls and I think that that really hurt them and, and maybe cost Hillary the election. Mm. And I'm curious to see if they learned anything from that, because, mm. um, you know, if they if they rigged the polls again and, and end up talking all of their own voters into staying home because the Democrats got it in the bag, um, they're going to be in for another surprise.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it right now, it, it seems like they haven't learned shit. <laughs>
0: No, <laughs> they just double all.
1: down, double down. and It's just like, damn. And, you know, it's yeah. good for people like me and you, because, you know, I think that, you know, independent creators and independent, you know, so-called journalists like it, it only makes our lives easier because, you know, we get, you know, if they were just trustworthy, there would not be, you know, 20, 30,000 YouTubers doing <laughs> journalism right now. And, you know, it's good for us, but it also it's not that good for like finding the truth or whatever. Right.
0: No, it's not. But at the same time, um, just as as kind of an anarchist, I, I like that it's causing people to lose faith in the system. You know, I I like that. I can say, you know, if you think that Donald Trump is a complete lunatic, if you think that Donald Trump is is literally Hitler, then why are we giving him all of these powers? Why are we allowing him to make these executive orders? And and to know that if it's happened once, it could happen again. So. What are we going to do to, to roll back the scope of government or to push back on those things and stop relying on them for everything? Um, because I, I don't want Donald Trump to be my babysitter, and I, I don't want any of the rest of them to be my babysitter either.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like it, it's I don't know, a bunch of stand up comics have, have said that, just like you know, Trump is Hitler, let's give him the guns, like it's like and the power, and it you mm-hmm. know, so it's I don't know. There's I don't we have a a question from the chat over here, which is interesting. Would you would you agree that Trump has said some seriously ignorant and distasteful things?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes. Um, Yes. And I again, I think not that I agree with any of those things. Most Mm. of what he says is is complete garbage, but I like that it exposes the media for what they are. Mm. And I also like that it helps people to lose a little bit of respect for the office of the president. You know, always before it was like, oh, well you you know, you have to you may not like who's in the who you may not like who the president is, but you've got to respect the office and you've got to make sure that you look up to this. And then you have a guy just tweeting bullcrap constantly and, and just ridiculous, you know, talking about um, uh, Rashida Tlaib, you know, that the only winner in that deal was her grandmother who didn't have to see Ooh, her. That was
1: cold blooded.
0: Um, it was just hysterical. And uh, no, it's not a professional thing to say. No, it's not what you want to hear coming from the highest office in the land. But at the, some point, you've got to admit that these people are 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 clowns just the way that you know some of the people you work with are clowns, and some of the, the people that you are around and some of the people in your local city council are just complete buffoons. Mm. And and the whoever's in the Oval Office is no better. Yeah, and, and as soon as we can do that and lose a little bit of respect for them and to realize, um, no, they, this guy who's tweeting all of this stupid stuff doesn't deserve to be making any of the decisions about whether or not I'm allowed to own a gun or whether or not you know, I'm allowed to buy healthcare from a private provider. Yeah. Uh, I don't want that guy making those decisions for me, and I don't want anybody else doing it either
1: wow all right man that was a really great chat Uh, i i got your uh, information linked below in the show description but why don't you tell people like how to find you and uh, i think a couple people asked for the link for your podcast and stuff so you might have gained a couple fans from this and uh, why don't you tell people how to find your show
0: yeah thank you um i am on my podcast is just about anywhere where podcasts are um are up i'm on spotify i'm on apple i'm on google stitcher um Pocketcasts, Casts, uh, Podcast Addict, uh, I think all of those things. I've also put my shows up on YouTube. They're usually a little bit late going up, but I've got them on YouTube now. And uh, if you also want to go to my Facebook or Twitter, you can find a link to the shows page in case you want to listen in your web browser. Um, I right now I am trying to put shows up every other Monday. Um, mm. I missed the last episode because I was sick and just couldn't quite get it out on time. Um, but eventually I'm going to be moving up to weekly uh, once I get a little bit faster just to editing and getting everything published out there. But uh, follow me on Twitter. I do a lot on Twitter. Um, depending on your personality, I'm I'm full and cap on Twitter. I'm mm. complete hardcore and and cap um, on Facebook. It's a little bit. Uh, I, I tone it back a little bit for Facebook, but um, I'd love to have you follow me. i love to have you subscribe on YouTube or subscribe wherever you can on your podcast.
1: All right, cool, man. All right, everybody out there. Thank you so much for checking out Call Me Ignorant today. You can find this uploaded to YouTube, Bitshoot, and FreedomScoop.com as a video, and Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean as a podcast. Please subscribe and follow my channel on the various platforms. If you feel like you've benefited from the show and you want to support, you can rate or review the show on iTunes or Spotify. You can do a one-time or monthly donation. You can find those options down below in the show description. I hope everyone out there enjoyed the show. My guest today was Garrett of Make America Garrett Again podcast. You can find his information linked below in the show description. Have a fantastic day.
0: Everyone out there, go inform yourselves. Peace out.